Good morning, church. I am feeding back. Um, I am very grateful that he, it's absolutely true that he is greater (laughs) than me this morning. So so I'm going to open up God's word and he's hopefully going to speak. Am I doing something wrong with this mic? I've missed you. Have you been all right? Three weeks. So this morning we are going to um, turn to the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got your Bibles, um, you will find him sitting comfortably between Ezra and Esther, which I think is a pretty good place to sit, personally. Um, so I have been asked to talk uh, on a new series, which is very exciting, uh, also a little bit scary. Um, so we are going to be in the course of the coming weeks looking at Nehemiah and trying to um, just let him speak some truth and some just wisdom into the vision of our church. So we are going to be uh, looking at how he can breathe life into our vision and how we respond as a collective church, but also as an individual member of the church. Um, And so my question today is, build our church. So I came up with three points. I like these. Uh, So I think that we build our church through prayer, through obedience and through love. And I'd just like to point out that I'm wearing this, church, this T-shirt completely deliberately today. My son has actually taken this on as a motto in our house. I apparently say it that much. <laughs> so, you know, that's okay. So, um, so for some of you, you know that my life is a little bit hectic at the moment. I am trying to do too many things. Um, I had a rude awakening after Christmas where I failed epically a module that I am doing in my master's. Um, And I genuinely believe that God did this on purpose. I think he did this to put my back up against a wall and tell me to stop. He's done some other things since then. That's not for this morning. Um, But... I really felt like he asked me to give up some things as an act of obedience to him. And it started with giving up two amazing things that I love to do in the community. Um, And then I realized that I had two speaking engagements in February, back to back, like today and tomorrow. And I was like, well, clearly you're going to let me give those up. Right? Because, you know, how much reading, how much emotion, how much anxiety goes into doing this. Like, logically, if you're teaching me something, then you will allow me to lay these preaching engagements down. I heard nothing. Like, nothing. And then I looked on the rotor, and there was one word, one, and it was build, because uh, the, the team hadn't kind of filled in all of the blanks at this point. And so stroppy Rachel got in the car one day to university. And I was like, right, well, Lord, if you really want me to speak, then you're clearly going to have to teach me and tell me what 
I'm speaking about because one word isn't going to cut it. Almost instantly, I got the word Nehemiah. I got the words people matter. And I got the colour pink. I don't know whether you can see this at the back. I then opened up my Bible to prepare. So today, we are sponsored by former Rachel, age 21 and 27. It got interesting. I was like, okay, fine. You can speak. (laughs) So, I love the book of Nehemiah. I love it. For me, it is a book about obedience, vision, hope, and restoration. I think that Nehemiah captures the tension of living with hope in reality beautifully. I think that the rebuilding of the wall, while it's challenging and it's inspiring, is also a metaphor to show how God rebuilds his people and his community. I believe that the book shows, that, shows God's heart for his people and I believe that he shouts it very loudly that people matter and that he loves his people. And I believe that because if you read the whole of Nehemiah, it's not just about rebuilding a wall. It's about God rebuilding his relationship with his people. They've turned their back on him. They've, they've, they've torn down his temple. They've broken his holy city. And Nehemiah comes back and he brings restoration with him. 21-year-old Rachel wrote at the top of Nehemiah, One Lord, one people, one task. And I believe that that is true of our church today. I believe that our task is to build our church, reach our community, and impact our world. So today we're looking at Nehemiah, and we're just looking at chapter 1, thankfully. And so I'm going to try and not so clumsily read it to you. Nehemiah's prayer. The word of Nehemiah, son of somebody, in the month of Keslev, In the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Haniah, one of my brothers, came from Judea with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who have survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For the days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servants is praying before you day and night for the servants and the people of Israel. I confess the sins we we Israelites, including myself, 
and my father's house have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees, and laws that you have given your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then, even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, no, sorry, yeah. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and, and to the prayer of the servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servants success today by granting them favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So verse 4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And some days I, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God in heaven. Let's look at that for a moment. Look at his response. The way that Nehemiah responded already tells me of his character. He was set apart. God wants us to respond like that to bad news. He wants us to be disturbed by evil. He wants us to be distressed by the immorality that goes on in this world. He wants us to have our legs knocked from under us and fall in a heap. Keith would be able to tell you, but I can't remember the name of the song, but break my heart for what breaks yours. If words fail you, try tears. Because it says that when you haven't got the words, Jesus and Holy Spirit will come and he will interpret your cries and he will pray on your behalf. We're not doing it by ourselves. It also shows me that Nehemiah is completely dependent on God. You know, he's got connections. He's the cupbearer to the king. And he could make things happen. But do you know what he does? His point of action is prayer. He brings in the big guns. My new fancy Bible that I got for Christmas off the church, thanks very much, uh, says that Nehemiah tells a story of a God-ordained leader. So his response, his first response of prayer, teaches me that if I want to be a leader, then I can't do any of it on my own. All of it has to come from God. All of it has to be in his power, with his wisdom. So if I want to build my church, if you want to build our church, then you need to be praying for it daily. 
You need to be praying for it. And you need to be praying for the people that surround it. You need to be praying for the people that are in it. You need to be praying for the wider community. And I hope that you do it with tears. But then in verse 5 it says, Lord, the God of heaven, great and awesome God, he keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So he wails and he moans and he cries and he breaks his heart and he prays and then he lifts his eyes up. So Nehemiah in this in this simple simple verse shows us that he understands the tension of hope versus reality. And do you know, I've got something already in me, and I'd love to go off on a tangent, but I'm really not going to. So if you want to talk about it afterwards, great, come and talk to me. Because it encourages me that this great man of God totally gets that he's literally stood in rubble. It's a mess. And yet, he has hope for a future. And I know... I know that some of you are coming in today and have are living out that tension. You're living out that hope versus reality. Some of you, it might be about jobs. Some of you, it might be about families or partners. It might be about illness. It might be about all of them. Let's be honest. But Nehemiah gets it, and the best thing is, so does Jesus. He gets hope versus reality. I might might rant on Facebook about that later. Nehemiah, by lifting his eyes up and declaring who God is, shows us and reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. He's reminding us of the covenant between God and his people. But he's also confessing the sins of the nation. He's repenting. He is entering into a new covenant with God on behalf of his people. And then he reminds God of his mercy. In verse 8 it says, Remember the instructions that you gave your servant Moses, saying... If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and you obey my commands, then even if, you're, even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Obey my commands. Three times this week, I have been reminded that obedience is God's love language, which is really encouraging because personally I've had to lay down some things this week and it's cost me greatly. What would it look like in your lives if you lived a life of obedience? If you dared ask what was of God in your life and what wasn't? It's a painful question. 
I don't like the answer. But that doesn't change the fact that he is greater than me. He knows best. So I would gladly lay down whatever he asks of me. Because at the end of the day, all I am is who he says I am anyway. We see at the end of the chapter, Nehemiah instructing us once again how to live. And I think this should be our daily prayer for Thornaby, for our church, for our town, for our nation. We need to live in God's presence in order to love one another well. As a mother of a four-year-old, I know that. I know that if I live in God's presence, I love better. It says in verse 11, Lord, let your ears be attentive to the prayers of this servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of the man. This entire book records a history-changing event that all started with a prayer. The prayer of an obedient man. I mentioned earlier that this book was about vision. At the end of the chapter, we read one simple throwaway line. I was a cupbearer to the king. A bit random. But it's significant. Nehemiah did not have to trouble himself with the woes and the sorrows of Jerusalem. Like, he was working for a king. And even as a servant of a king... His life would have been pretty cushy. Yet he begged and pleaded to go back to his hometown and to serve his people. Why? Vision. He saw the reality, yet he had a hope for the future. God showed him what he wanted him to do. I heard, so, so I prepare in, in a lot of different ways, and one of the things I do is I listen to podcasts of people that are far more accomplished than I am. And I spoke to this, inc- I, I spoke to, no I didn't, that's a total lie. I, I heard this incredible podcast by a guy in Birmingham Vineyard called Andrew McNeil. And he says, vision gives value to the mundane. Oh. I was like, I love that. That totally resonated with me. Because let's face it, if any of you knew former Rachel, since, you know, she's sponsoring today, I wanted to be a snowboarder in a snowboard town. Like, I wanted the adventure life. And that wasn't what God wanted. My dad wanted me to be a teacher. That was the vision he put on my life. If I was going to go and do a Mickey Mouse subject like fine art, I then had to get a proper job. How did that work out for you, Craig? Three years I lasted. (laughs) Because that was my dad's vision. I really believe that God has a vision for your life. And you shouldn't look sideways. And really, you shouldn't even 
ask yourself. You should ask God. Again, painful question. You might not like the answer. Sasfe is a really good snowboard town, guys. <laughs> Andrew McNeil said... <clears throat> Hold on, let me just go back. So with this in mind, talking about vision... I think we need to look at vision for two counts. As a church, do you believe in the vision that we have as Teesside Vineyard? Do you believe in building our church, reaching our community, impacting our world? Because if you do, then you need to be praying for our church and praying for our community. But you also need to be confessing your sins and the sins of our community. Not in an arrogant way. In a, let's break our heart and see what God wants to do with that way. In the coming weeks, you're going to see the wall get rebuilt. But as the wall gets rebuilt in Nehemiah... A spiritual awakening happens. And I want to see that in Teesside. I want to see people know who Jesus is and know that they are loved beyond measure. Getting behind the vision of our church requires a physical response. When Andrew McNeil was talking about vision, giving value to the mundane he used the example of parenthood if you look I'm going to use me as an example if I look at breakfast times getting dressed, brushing teeth taking to school, being late for school picking up from school like if I look at all of that in earthly eyes it would be very easy for me to think that my life was dead boring. As a side note, gratitude changes everything. And so even in my boring, my most boring state, he's my miracle. He's my walk and talk and miracle. And so I don't feel that. But if I did, it would be very easy. What about if you lift your eyes and you realise that actually... What you're doing is you are making sure that this little rocket pocket of a world changer is going to grow big and strong because he's eaten his breakfast and his teeth aren't going to fall out because he's brushed his teeth. And he knows that he's loved beyond measure and he knows that he is seen and he is valued. And he knows that that's just a glimpse of how the Heavenly Father sees him. So that when he is grown, he has a foundation that is God-ordained. That is my vision as a mother. I want my son to know he can be anything he wants to be. And I will never tell him what that is. It changes the way you look at things. Teresa comes every Friday with a team of incredible people and cleans this massive building. It would be very, very easy to think 
that she's just cleaning a toilet, but she's not. What she's doing is she's enabling us to take pride in our home and to open the doors and welcome people in. Vision gives value to the mundane. So in the coming weeks, you're probably going to hear of all of the things that make this place run. It would be amazing if you would like to join us in making it work. Be part of the gang and just do life with us. And if there's nowhere that looks like it's a shape for you, then come and make one. We're a family. The second is as an individual. Do you have a vision? Maybe you do. Maybe you need it affirming. Maybe you don't have one. I'd like you to close your eyes. The first thing I want to do is I just want to pray. Father God, I just pray that you would release anybody that is sat here today with a vision that is not from you. If anybody has spoken a vision over them, or if they've, they've found one out of obligation, Lord, I pray release. Father God, I pray over our church today. I pray that you would give people courage. I pray that you would allow people to be brave enough this morning to ask you, today or in the coming days and weeks, Lord, for a God-given vision on their lives. pray you would move in this space. Father God, I thank you that you are so much bigger than we can imagine and that we have nothing to fear. Amen. Catherine of Siena says, be who you are meant to be and you will set the world on fire. God wants you to set the world on fire. So, I would like, if it's at all possible, I have, I have tortured the tech team this morning. Um, I, would, I would love for you to just listen in the quiet and, um, and then maybe if you feel appropriate and led, the band can come up. I completely trust your judgment. But... I would love you to um, just listen to this song. I'm going to speak for two seconds, though, Dawson. Um, it's called Fear Not. And the, the words that totally resonate with me every time I listen to it is, let me show you what I see. You can't dream too big for me. So get up, get on your way. We've got things to do today. I love it. Because God acknowledges that we don't see what he sees in us. And sometimes we limit ourselves because of fear. 
But I also love this line that says, we've got things to do today. You're not doing it on your own. Nehemiah didn't build a wall on his own. It was completely powered by God. So whatever you've got in your heart, whatever you feel like God's calling you to do, step up and step out because God is with you. And then the second bit is, it says, when the questions start arising, keep your eyes fixed straight ahead. Hold on tightly to the promises. Hold firmly to the truth that I love you. So I'm going to leave you with that. And I just pray that God's spoken to you guys. Thank you.